Today, we will meet Jesus when he was a 40 days old baby. We will meet Jesus at the temple of Jerusalem for the first time when his parents dedicated him to God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 40, we see convergence of three separate dedications required by the law of Moses. First is a purification of a woman 40 days after birth of a son, uh, Leviticus 12, and also presentation of a firstborn to God, also in Exodus 13, and also dedication of a firstborn or consecration into the Lord's service, um, we saw in the first Samuel chapter 1 and 2. So Christmas Sunday 2020, I want us to discover the deeper meaning of a Christ child in this seemingly ordinary Jewish dedication of a baby. And I want to share, I want us to dedicate our lives to God who gave us the greatest gift of His love. To show the significance of Simeon's song, today's title is A Song of Simeon and Anna and the Three Kinds of Waiting. So to show the significance of Simeon's song, let me show you some baby pictures. So Lee, would you show some baby picture? And I want you to guess who this baby is. Anybody can guess this baby is? Don't put it in the chat. I cannot read a chat during my sermon. So you might turn on and say something if you can guess. Okay, anybody? Daniel Clark. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Daniel Clark. Okay. It's older than Daniel Clark. And uh, let me give you a hint. It's a very, once again, this historical figure. All right. Uh, Lord, I, I can see it. Winston Churchill. Yes. This is a Winston Churchill, the Bulldog Prime Minister of England, who saved the you know free world from the from the uh, from the menace of uh, uh, Nazism and Hitler. Let me show you the next picture. Who is this a cute little child? Anybody can guess? Anyone can guess? Is it still Winston Churchill? Nope. All right, is Laurel is wrong. It's not Amelia. Guess who? Don't be uh, fooled by the dress. It's a boy. Is it Teddy Roosevelt? This is a Frank uh, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. By the way, it was a very common up until uh, uh, 1940s or 30s that even boys were dressing girls. They were babies were pretty. So they didn't, you know, distinguish the, you know, uh, whatever, the, the dressing. So this is a FDR who saved us from the Great Depression, first economic meltdown, and also led the country through the World War II. Let me show you the next, next picture. Who is a, this a cute black baby? Anyone? This is a first... African-American President Barack Obama. All right. Let me show you the last picture. Guess who is sort of a bummed out baby? And his life was actually bummed out. <laughs> oh, no. Andres, that was the worst, worst guess. Okay. All right. Let me, get, let me give you. Yes. This is Adolf Hitler. 
the man who would uh, uh, create the ultimate genocide and uh, his ambition made the 20th century the bloodiest century of a human history. Now, what is the one thing common for all baby pictures of a famous historical figures we just saw? None of their parents and family friends, such as the pastors, ever predicted what big historical figures they would become when they were babies. Those who saw them and held them said only, How cute uh, you are! How you have your daddy's pointy nose! Or you have your, mo your mommy's beautiful eyes! They never knew that these babies were going to be movers and shakers of the world affecting so many lives. That's the difference between Jesus and all other historical figures. When Simon, Simeon, Simeon and Anna saw baby Jesus, they expressed the greatest praises and the highest joy for the world. That's why Simeon's and Anna's prophecies are so remarkable today. They call baby Jesus consolation of Israel, God's salvation, and redemption of Jerusalem. Here we see threefold meaning of God's greatest gift to us in Christmas through His Son, along with three kinds of waiting in life. So today I'm going to sort of uh, uh, put this together, the three kinds of waiting and God's fulfillment and God's love in those waitings. So first one is so-called the past waiting, past waiting. Uh, well, let me give you the outline quickly so that you will, you, you, you will now wonder about this. So we'll talk about past waiting, prophetic waiting, and present waiting. Okay, so there is outline. First, who were Simeon and Anna? Why were they so ecstatic with the baby Jesus? Simeon and Anna represent the best of Israel or Israelite. They were righteous, devout, holy, faithful, and prophetic. Luke's account of a Christmas story started with an old couple in chapter 1 named Zachariah and Elizabeth. And their story we've been meditating in the Christmas daily breath. So uh, those of you who haven't had a chance, uh, come and join us uh, tomorrow. We have uh, four more days of uh, Christmas daily breath at 7 o'clock in the morning. And Luke also end this Christmas story with another old couple named Simeon and Anna. Even though they are not married, but they are, once again, Luke brings... Simeon and Anna as a pair of a prophet to confirm the significance of the birth of Christ. Now, so Luke's account of a Christmas story, he starts and ends with the old people. It's more like old people are inclusio or bracket of Luke's story of a nativity or a Christmas story. Why old people? Why old people? Why is they look, you know, kind of frame the Christmas story with the old people? Let me tell you why. Old people are not easily excited. They have seen many new things. 
they experienced enough life that they were readily persuaded. They are not readily persuaded or passionate about novel things. They are not waiting for new iPhone or excited about new Tesla. You know, what makes the old people excited? Especially, what makes the godly old people excited? What were they waiting for? Luke told us that more than new iPhone or a new Tesla, they are waiting for consolation of Israel and redemption of Jerusalem. They are waiting for God's Messiah to come out and vindicate God's people and redeem the world. This waiting for God's consolation is actually comes from God's promise in Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2. So Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, prophet Isaiah said this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your, Lord, your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah prophesies that one day God will send is a Messiah who will comfort all God's people and redeem and vindicate Jerusalem from her sin and shame. Today, Simeon and Anna both received what they are waiting for their entire life from God. Here we see the first waiting in history. That is a past waiting and its a fulfillment. The first comfort and challenge I want everyone to recognize in today's story is that God always fulfilled His promise in His time, and we need to be faithful in our waiting and in our time. Waiting is the theme of Christmas. Waiting is an essential part of our life. Everybody waits for something and someone every day or sometime many, many days in life. High school seniors right now are waiting for college admissions. Post-college graduates are waiting for graduate school admissions. All graduates wait for some kind of a job offer. Singles are waiting for someone to love and marry. Married people are waiting for baby to love and uh, raise. Parents are waiting for children to leave home <laughs> and start all over. Some are waiting for healing. Seriously, we are praying for healing of our uh, friends and family members. Some are waiting for deep anxiety to go away. All of us are waiting for this pandemic to end and bad economy to you know, go away and our financial life will bounce back. So, you know, everyone is waiting for something and someone. That's a life. That's a human life. So look around, look at the, all the screens. Look at the screen in our Zoom and tell me that there's, a no, there's somebody who is not waiting for something. Everyone is waiting for something. And the how long will we or you have to wait? I don't know. But you know, what matters most in waiting is a who I become while I'm waiting. The most important thing in, about our waiting is uh, who do I become while I'm waiting? If I wait with a faith and patience or 
Am I waiting with uh, impatience and a lot of doubt? Some people become a bitter while they are waiting and selfish. Some people become better and they become more surrendering to God because they are waiting on the Lord. Waiting is essential not only in life in general, but also for faith. Everybody that God used, they have to wait. Noah waited and worked to build the ark for how many years? Anyone? 120 years. Abraham waited for birth of his promised son. How long? 25 years. Joseph waited for 13 years as a slave and a falsely accused sex offender in Egyptian prison until his dream comes true. Moses waited for 80 years to liberate his enslaved people. Joshua and Caleb waited for 40 years to enter into the promised land. While they are waiting, guess what happened? They are not just counting time or you know, passing time. They were trusting God. And in the process, their faith muscle grew and their integrity and character were refined. They matured in their waiting. So let me ask all of us a question. What kind of waiter are you? Are you an impatient, anxious, bitter waiter? Or are you a faithful, proactive, trusting waiter? Are you preparing to receive God's answer? Are you just to be anxious and apprehensive about God's answer? For 400 years, Israelites were waiting in silence. Since the return of the exile from Babylon, Israel has been waiting for God's restoration of their glory over 500 years. Many gave up the hope. Some changed the hope into the religious system. For instance, Pharisees practically defied. They made the law of God and legalism into the place of a Messiah. Sadducees, they institutionalized the Temple of Jerusalem more ferociously than ever as they created this very profitable union of commerce and religion. They all perverted the hope into some kind of man-made hegemonies. Today, look, present, Simeon and Anna as the ideal, faithful waiters of God's promise and how God satisfied his faithful waiters. They're waiting not only for a long time, but also with the integrity and faithfulness. For instance, look at the Anna. If you look at the verse 36, she was a prophet. She was the first woman in the Bible with the title of a prophetess. And she was a daughter of Peniel, verse 36, if you look at it. And the tribe of Asher, do you guys remember Asher? That I preached on Asher during the Father's Day. So if you, if you go back to our online, uh, our website, there is a sermon on Asher. Asher was a really pleasant, it's a great. So she is from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband only seven years, and he died. And verse 37, she was a widow until she was 84. Now, that is not what Greek text says. 
Greek text is actually didn't say until. Greek text says she was a widow about 84 years. Some New Testament scholars, they think she was actually widow for 84 years. That means she married probably 13, 14, lived with us about seven. So she became a, a widow start, uh, uh, in early 20 or 20. And next 84 years, so she is over 100 years old. And the, how did she... And then the key on 84 is this. You know, 84, Jewish people, ancient people, they really make a number, uh, symbolize something. 84 equals 12 times 7. 12 times 7 comes to 84. And uh, anybody who knows uh, is, uh, Old Testament, number 12 and number 7 is a very special number to Jewish people. 12 tribes and 7, Sabbath. So 12 times 7, 84. So whether it's a coincidence or not, the idea that Luke is trying to convey is that uh, she's been faithful God to, to utmost length, and the quality. And today, and then she lived in the temple all this time. She worshiped God day and night, fasting and praying. And then she came to the baby and she concurred with Simon. Now, let's look at the song of Simon. If you look at the song of Simon, verse 28, Simon took Jesus in his arm and praised God and sang, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, now you may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a life of revelation to Gentile and glory of your people Israel. First thing Simon said to uh, Simeon said to God was, now Dismiss me, your, your servant, in peace. In Latin word for this prayer is a num dimitis. Num dimitis. It simply means, now, num means now, dimitis means dismiss me in peace. And this is a, you know, Simon was saying that, Lord, I'm so satisfied. Now I see that you are faithful, God. I, I have no doubt about your love and commitment to Israel and to the whole humanity. Now I'm ready to die. You can dismiss me. You can let me go in peace. This prayer is this prayer of a, 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 a Simeon. Bless, it is a, you know, this is a perfect prayer. I don't know about you. That's the, I want to go out from this world. If I depart from this world in Simeon's way, saying the Lord, I'm ready to go in peace. I'm ready. You can dismiss. Take me. Take me home in peace. Wow. You know, this is a great prayer. Great conclusion and a great closer of a life. And Simeon said, by God's grace, now I'm ready. This Simeon's prayer, prayer of uh, Nung Dimitas, 
actually became a famous uh, evening prayer for Christians during the medieval time. Medieval time, people's life span was really short. Life was hard and was very unpredictable. Many people were not sure whether they would survive some night. So every night before they went to bed, guess what they prayed for? They prayed the prayer song of Simeon. The Lord dismiss me in peace. If I go in the middle of the night, please dismiss me in peace. I really pray that I, I wish and pray that all of us experience the same kindness of a close of a life. God gives us a perfect closer in our past waiting with his peace and his uh, promise. Simeon lived faithfully in waiting for God with integrity and service, and he was ready to die with joy, gratitude, and peace. And in Christ, because simply he saw Christ, I want to tell you, what's the implication of this? In Christ, you and I can have a closer for everything. In everything in our life, we put that in in Christ. In Christ, we can say, God, I have your peace of your son. I'm holding your son, and your son is holding me in his heart. I have a peace of Christ. You may dis dismiss me anytime. I know how much you love me, and nothing comes closer to your love. I am satisfied. That is what Simeon was telling us. That's the first thing, the past waiting. Now, there's a second waiting. That is a prophetic waiting. Simeon not only gave us a perfect ending of a past waiting, but also prophetic waiting. And Simeon talked not only about consolation of Israel, but actually crucifixion of a Messiah. Look at the uh, verse 34 and 35. After Simeon said, I, after Simeon sang, he, told, he, he, he blessed, uh, he blessed uh, Joseph and Mary, and especially to Mary, Simeon said, This child, destined to cause a falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so the thought of many heart will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul. Why did Simeon say Jesus will cause the falling and rising of many? Because earlier in verse 30, Simeon said what? Jesus is a salvation. I, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is a salvation. Literally, Jesus actually a uh, name for uh, Jesus is the uh, sort of a Latin, you know, sort of English English size, Anglo size name of a Joshua, or Hebrew name Joshua, and Joshua means Jehovah saves or Yahweh saves, and Jesus is the only one who truly embodies the full meaning of the name. Joshua is a very common Jewish name. Started with a Joshua in the book of Joshua, the the son of Nun, but Jesus, son of God. He is a true, ultimate Joshua. Now, Simeon was saying, when he said, I'm seeing your salvation in my hand, when he was holding baby Jesus, 
He was saying, he was not saying, here is someone who will teach us about salvation. He is a somebody who will guide us the way of the truth. Jesus is the way, period. And Jesus is a salvation, period. That's why Jesus offends many, especially those in status quo, religiously and politically. Jesus will humble those in socio-economic mainstream while he welcomes and exalts the marginalized and the humble. So Jesus will cause many falling, many who have a control of a life and the love to hold on to it, they will fall before Jesus. But those who are looking for meaning of a life desperately and humbly, Jesus will exalt them. Ever since Jesus came, God has been dividing people. Jesus' presence in this world makes people respond the idle opposite ways. Either people receiving him with love or rejecting him with fear. For instance, when the news about his, news about his birth came, what did Mary do? A humble, poor virgin, Mary received the the birth of his birth of son, son of God, with love and obedience. How about the Herod? Herod the Great rejected Christmas with a murder and defiance. From the beginning, Christ causes many to fall and others to rise. So Christmas, I want the second point is this Christmas is not just a benign event of God's love but it's a battle announcement of God's true love and his unyielding sovereignty over grace in this world. You know, gift of God is also sword of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German pastor and who actually uh, involved in assassination of Hitler, removal of Hitler, and for that he was imprisoned and taken prison in Germany and ultimately uh, died, uh, killed by a uh, in uh, um, uh, Gestapo, and in his, he wrote uh, uh, he wrote many things, and uh, his his writings in the prison became a book called the Letters and Papers of a Prison, and this is what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, meditation on Christmas. He said, "We have become so accustomed to the idea of a divine love and God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of a fear." that God's coming should arouse in us. You know, all the, uh, when angels appear to every people in the Christmas story, the first thing angels say what is what? Do not be afraid. You know, to shepherds, do not be afraid. To Mary, do not be afraid. To Zechariah and Elizabeth, do not be afraid. To everybody, first message was do not be afraid. We are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant, agreeable out of it, forgetting the serious aspect that God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. The coming of God truly not only glad tidings, but first of all, frightening news to everyone who has conscience. Christmas story is the most poignant. 
because it comes with ultimate promise of a sacrifice and the ugliest picture of a suffering. Simeon told Mary that sword will pierce your soul. I don't know. If a physical you know, sword pierces our flesh, is so painful. I don't know how much more painful when sword pierces uh, one's soul. And Simeon's you know, prophecy came true according to John 19 when one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear and bringing sudden flow of blood and water. And Mary saw her son crucified and at the end he was pierced. Can you imagine the pain of a Mary? So here is a manger of Jesus, or a cradle of our king, prophetically points out to his ultimate throne, which is on the cross. And his ultimate crown is a crown of a thorn. So in the Christmas, we cannot, this is a merry Christmas, but at the same time, we must recognize it is a, a mercy God extended to us, uh, extended to us, at the most painful, mangled suffering of Christ on the cross. Antiraid one time uh, shared the story that uh, uh, he heard the story from a Roman Catholic archbishop. And uh, this Roman archbishop, uh, Roman Catholic archbishop. Uh, told the story about three very naughty uh, uh, teenagers. That one day, for fun, they went into the local uh, church, Roman Catholic church, and they went into a confessional booth one by one, and that they confessed to the priest all kind of outrageous sins they claimed they committed. And they just want to shock the priests that, oh, I did this, this, you know. So initially, priest didn't know what's going on, but by the third time, he realized these kids were really having fun with him. And being a very experienced spiritual guide, this priest said to the last teenager that, okay, you just confessed all these sins. I want to, I'll give you a penance. And my, you know, your penance for your sins, I want you to go walk up to the front of the altar at the crucifix in front of a crucifix, you know, the crucifix, right? Where the, the, you know, the Christ was crucified. At the crucifix, I want you to look at the face of Jesus and say this three times. You did all this for me and I don't care that much. I want you to say that three times. So boy went up to the front, look at the picture of Jesus, and said, you did, you did all this for me? I don't care that much. And then he said it again. But when it comes third time, this teenager couldn't say, and he broke down in tears. And the archbishop telling the story said the reason he knows that the story is true was because he was the young man. And there's something about cross.
something about Jesus dying there for us, which leaps over all the theoretical discussions, all the possibilities of how we explain this way or that way to, you know, to explain about God's love. But when we really grasp by the crucified Christ, it breaks us down. Cross of Christ is not a doctrine. It's more than an idea. It's a reality. It is a personal reality. It's a relational encounter. Cross of Christ, where our Savior was pierced, reveals who God is and who I am. On the pure Savior, I face my sin and my Savior at the same time. So do you know the prophetic waiting of Christmas? Christmas is not all about the, all the gifts and, and you know, delicious you know, food. It is a poignant. God gave us ultimate love. And uh, he really, really wants to touch our heart and transform our lives. Let me move on to the final waiting. That's the present waiting. Let me read the final verses of today's Christmas story in verse 39 to 40 and point out the final kind of waiting. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their hometown of Nazareth, and there the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. When Joseph and Mary had done everything in the temple, guess what happened? From that point on, Jesus has to face everything in human life from that point on. He has to grow and learn. You know, verse 40 said, Jesus was filled with the wisdom. He grew and became strong, filled with the wisdom. What does that mean? That he was filled with the wisdom. Isn't Jesus God or Son of God who has all the wisdom and knowledge in himself already? Here is a great mystery of incarnation. Uh, sorry, technical term of this mystery is a hypostatic union of Christ. Simply put, in Christ, divine nature and human nature is a perfectly commingled or coexist perfectly with a full integrity without any compromise. The incarnate Son of God means that Jesus is fully God and fully human. As a fully human, our Lord Jesus experienced and went through every limitations and then growth experience that every human being has to go through. That's what it means he was filled with the wisdom. So he was filled with the wisdom simply means he has to grow in wisdom. And how do you grow in wisdom? You have to go to school. You have to learn just like anybody. Do you know Jesus also had to learn the alphabet and memorize the scripture? He was not automatically. He's a word of God. He is actually spoke the most of the scripture in Old Testament, but that doesn't mean 
when he became a human, everything was natural there. All of a sudden, you know, the, the, all the scripture is just, it comes out of his memory. No. That's the divine side. Human side of Jesus. He has to learn everything. He has to go. I bet Jesus understood, Jesus experienced. When you have a hard time in schoolwork, guess what? Jesus understands. When you, you know, when you, when Jesus worked at the, you know, carpentry of his, carpenter shop of his house, I bet he had a lot of splinter. I bet he, he banged some of his nails with the hammers. He understands. You know, Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have the high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Therefore, we can approach God's throne of grace with a confidence, because we will receive a mercy and grace to help us. That's what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 4. You know, seeing a doctor is a good thing, but seeing a, a doctor or a nurse with the same sickness experience that you have, that is a doubly blessing and confidence. Isn't that true? It doesn't you give you more comforting and boost your more confidence? You know, Jessica Chung, we've been praying for her full recovery of COVID-19. She worked at a COVID-19 award and she was infected by one of her patients. And I met her last beginning, early last, I, I met her a while ago and last week, and she is almost fully recovered. And probably she's in the hospital now because the, her manager's been <laughs> calling her every day. Are you, when are you coming back? And the, most of uh, her uh, co-workers, they, they got infected and they were sick for several weeks and they're all back in the, you know, uh, uh, the unit. And the Jessica will share actually her, uh, her testimony next Sunday. So don't miss the first-hand experience of COVID-19 next Sunday. I, you know, because she said we need to be educated about this uh, horrible, horrible second, uh, uh, pen, uh, this infection. And now, do you think you know, she will treat, I mean, even though she was a compassionate, you know, a very competent nurse, but with that first personal experience, how do you think she will treat the COVID patient? Her patients are doubly blessed to have nurse like her. Good news about the incarnation of Jesus Christ is that He became one of us. He understands our fear and anxiety better than anyone. Whatever you go through, He understands. That is the present waiting. In your present waiting, we have to experience continual presence of Christ with us. Incarnation of God is not just again another doctrinal proposition. It's a living reality to everyone. Christ was born in the manger and ultimately not only for the cross, but also ultimately enter and born into our heart in our life. Someone said, Christ born in the manger, which is you know, filled with all the animal excrement and the stench, it's actually a picture of our world and our heart. Only thing that clean and pure 
in the, in the stable is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only pure thing in our world, in our heart. And the amazing thing is, He can make us impure and clean. Let me quote uh, St. Augustine's uh, words on incarnation. Augustine said, Man's maker was a made man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that bred my hunger, the fountain thirst, the light slip, the way be tired on his journey. Truth might be accused of a false witnesses. Teacher be beaten with the whips. Foundation be suspended on wood. Strength might be grow weak. The healer might be wounded. The light might die. God loves us so much and values us so much that he became one of us to understand not only us, but also empower us and to make us a new creation. And as we learn from the Second Corinthians 5.17, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is a new creation? As a Christ is our new creator, through his forgiveness and then salvation, we also receive, according to Paul, the ministry of reconciliation. So for us, living with Christ, living for Christ, living Christ in our heart means we become a new creation. That means we are not only reconciled to God, we become a reconcilers of God's grace with the world. And wherever there is a conflict, wherever there is a, 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 a hatred, where there is injustice, children of God, the followers of Christ, we are there with those who are struggling and suffering people. It's not just for our own comfort. It's the comfort of those who are struggling. Let me read a, one more last quote of the today's message from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his Cost of Discipleship. Here he said, Christ took upon himself this human form of ours. He became man, even as we are men. In his humanity, his lowliness, we recognize our own form. He has become like a man, so that man should be like him. In the incarnation, the whole human race recovers the dignity of the image of God. Henceforth, any attack on list of a man is an attack on Christ. Any attack on the list of a man is an attack on Christ, who took the form of a man in his own person, restored the image of God, in the all that bears a human form. Through the fellowship and communion with the incarnate Lord, we recover our true humanity, and at the same time, we are delivered from individualism, which is a consequence of a sin, and retrieve our solidarity with the whole human race. By being partakers of a Christ incarnate, we are partakers of our whole humanity, which he bore. We now know that we have been taken up and born in the humanity of Jesus. Therefore, new nature we now enjoy means we too must bear the sins and sorrows of others. The incarnate Lord makes his followers 
the brothers of all mankind. The philanthropy of God, Titus 3.4, which says, When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. And revealed in the incarnation is the ground of a Christian love toward all on the earth that bears the name of man. The form of Christ incarnate makes a church into the body of Christ. All the sorrows of mankind fall upon that form that only through that form can be born. Simply put, in Christ, we are born again, not just for our individual salvation, but salvation over everyone, because Christ loves everyone. Let us really receive Christ, child in our heart this Christmas, and as we as with a prayer that Jesus not only born and grow born, not only born in my heart please grow up in my heart make me mature in my waiting in my serving let us pray <laughs>